So that Lord obtains with his hands and feet everywhere, with eyes, ears and mouths everywhere, with his ears everywhere, pervading everything he obtains. So this is the first stage of Ishvara Vaishnam or seeing the Lord. Seeing him everywhere. So recognizing this fact that he alone is the one who thinks through all the heads, sees through all the eyes, hears through all the ears, walks through all the feet, acts through all the hands, functions through all the limbs of all the living beings, pervading everything he obtains. So this is the all-pervasive nature of the Lord, what we call Saguna Brahma, Brahman with all the attributes. So whatever there is, recognize, Isha Vasyam, Idam Saram, Yat Kinche, Jagatyam, Jagat, 
in the universe, whatever there is, is to be recognized as Ishvara. So this is the first recognition of the Lord. <coughs> then one may think that this is all that God is. Then next verse is no, no. Sarvendriya Ganabhasam Sarvendriya Vivarjitam So appearing to function through all the limbs but one who is without any limbs appearing to function through all the minds but one who is without the mind appearing to function through all the hands and legs and all the organs but in fact devoid of all the organs like telling us that look on the stage hey giving us first of all first interaction or recognition or of the actor say hey this beggar also is him the act- king also is him the minister also is him he pervades in all of this then I say hey is this fellow really a beggar and he says no no one who acts as a beggar but then who is devoid of beggingness who acts as a king but who is devoid of kingliness who acts as a minister but who is devoid of ministerness who acts but does not act who begs but does not beg meaning that all this beggar king all of these are appearance so first of all we have to recognize the whole universe as manifestation of lord and whatever is happening wherever is happening is all due to him yatah pravrutti bhutanam yena sarvam tatam that because of whom all the pravrutti all the activities are because of whom so bhishasmad vatah pavade is not only confined to the living beings but it is because of him that the wind blows because of him that the sun shines because of him that the water flows because of him that the fire burns because of him everything happens and therefore see the lord everywhere the whole universe is nothing but the manifestation of lord and every activity is impelled by the same consciousness and intelligence that is the lord or the knowledge that is pervading everywhere so recognize everything is god and then giving us the another dimension of god so first dimension of god is that he alone is manifest as the whole universe the second dimension is the divine man is manifest to the whole universe in fact he transcends the whole universe meaning that even though the actor is manifest as a beggar or a king or a minister in fact he transcends the beggar king or the minister so it is said sarvendriya gunavasam one who appears to be functioning through all the limbs sarvendriya vivarjitam but one who is devoid of all the limbs meaning in whose presence everything happens <coughs> so first thing is he alone does everything this all lord krishna explains himself chaturvarnyam maya sushtam guna karma vibhagasha tasya kartar abhimam vidhi akartar mavyam know that i am the one who does everything Hey, if you are the one who does everything then for all the misery that is here you are responsible is i don't do anything so in the ninth chapter lord krishna says that the whole universe comes to me in my prakriti gets merged into my prakriti or my maya or my my nature at the time of dissolution and emerges again in the time of creation the whole universe merges into me and emerges from me again at the time of creation Lord you created this world he says yes i have created the world but when he start questioning him what kind of creation you have done then he says but i haven't done anything nachavam tani karmani nibadhanti he arjuna in spite of doing this act of creation sustenance resolution of controlling everything even then none of these acts actually binds me how come udasina udasinam asattam teshu karmasu because all of these in fact when it is happening i am totally unconnected with it hey, how can it be how is it that you are doing everything and still unconnected with it it is only maya adhyakshena prakritihi suyate sacharacharam it is only in my presence that the prakriti or the matter or the maya perform this this acts of creation sustenance resolution everything is going on in my presence that no kartrutva no doership is involved so first knowledge is that he alone does everything and why do we why is it so i don't do anything even when i think that i am doing something it is he alone who does everything he is a creator he is a sustainer he is a dissolver he is a doer he is owner 
in that knowledge my sense of ownership my sense of doership all things dissolves when the ownership and doership and creatorship is all all belongs to god it doesn't belong to me and secondly but then how many hands would it require to do all of this how many legs would it require so upanishads apani pado javano grahita even though he doesn't have hands and feet still he runs fast and he grasps everything meaning that for doing this for doing whatever is going on he doesn't have to make any effort at all it is only in his presence as things are going on and so all this doing is merely an appearance so even while doing he is not doing anything even while enjoying he is not enjoying anything meaning that he it is in his presence that everything takes place so immanent as well as transcendent bahirantasya <coughs> bhutanam acharam charameva cha animate and inanimate sentient and insentient outside and inside near and far whatever it is is he alone sukshmatva tad vignayam but it is very difficult to comprehend him because of his subtlety what is meant by subtlety so we always look for god outside there the far and farther than the farthest nearer than nearest outside everything inside everything in the middle of everything everywhere he alone is and therefore for seeing god i always look out there and that is why i said that durastham it is farther than the farthest as long as i am looking out there then so long it is farther than the farthest but when i recognize that god who is so described in fact is none other than my own self that is when i look at my own self then i discover that this description in fact applies to not only brahman applies to i who is a consciousness antikeshada then he is closer than the closest he is a very self so this is how this verse shows how god is nothing but my own self meaning that i don't have to look for him outside therefore it is called very subtle incomprehensible even when the scientists also look for the truth outside of themselves it is incomprehensible and so says no it is your own self antikeshada antikeshada it is a antikeshada it is closer than the closest it is my own self <coughs> and continuing lord krishna says in the 16th verse avibhaktam cha bhuteshu विभक्तमे वचस्थितम् भूतभरद्रुचतज्ञेयम् ग्रसेष्णुप्रभविष्णुच अविभक्तम् च इवन दो इन रियलिटी ही रन डिवाइडेड द लॉर्ड ब्रह्मन सेल्फ और द कॉन्शियसनेस इज अनडिवाइडेड इनडिविजिबल like the space in fact cannot be divided space is undivided or indivisible that's an example vibhaktam ivachastitam even then it appears as though divided like when you create various partitions in a space looks like the space is divided into different kinds of spaces different kinds of enclosures so one enclosure can be called a bedroom other enclosure is called the living room and so forth looks as though the space is divided in fact space is undivided and indivisible and similarly it looks as though the self that you are is different from the self that this person is is different from the self that i am it looks like how many self how many atmas are there as many living beings are there as many atmas are there as many selves are there it appears as though the consciousness is divided into all these personalities like the space is divided into so many enclosures so many parts and so forth or so many rooms says no that division is in fact a false appearance it is not that the space is within the walls in fact the walls are within the space it is not that the space is within the part it is that the part is within the space and similarly also it is not that self is within me i am within the self it is not that the consciousness is within me i am in consciousness and so consciousness the self is undivided indivisible on account of identification of the body 
it looks as though there are so many consciousness, there are sparks of consciousness. So sometimes they talk of the sparks of consciousness. As many living beings are there, as many sparks of consciousness are there. And therefore, people believe that Swamiji, we are a fraction of God, is it not? In fact, after listening to Vedanta here for a number of years, then also they ask this question, Swamiji, so you say that we are a fraction of God, isn't it? But if God is fractionalized and God doesn't remain God, he cannot be fractionalized. As, as any mathematician will tell us, if you divide infinity by two, you do after the class you ask our other sleeper, so what is infinity divided by two? Is half infinity? Infinity divided by four. Infinity divided by hundred. Infinity is indivisible. Is inoperable as well. Multiplied by two also is infinity. Meaning that infinity is not available for any operation. It transcends all the operation. We will remain infinite regardless of what you do with it. That's just an example. The Atma self being infinite. But we take it to be very limited or finite only on account of equating myself with the body. Equating myself with the personality. Equating myself with what's called or the personality that this idea of the limitedness is there. And so they say, avibhaktam. In fact, the self is undivided. Vibhaktam evachastitam. It appears as though it is divided. And so division or manyness is an appearance. Manyness of the body is fine. The manyness of parts and pants, etc. is fine. That there can be many enclosures. And so one enclosure is different from the other enclosure. But then think that this space, this part space is different from this part space is only a Brahma, it is only, you know, a wrong notion, a false notion. We think that the space is confined into this part. In fact, the part is within the space. Avibhaktam bhuteshu vibhaktam chastitam And thus, he tells us the nature of the self, there is undivided whole, that's what I am. <coughs> Not only that, but what else am I? Bhuta bharatruchragnyam Grasishnu Prabhavishnu Chaya. Says Bhuta Bhartru. The self of Brahman is that which in fact sustains all the whole universe. Bhartru means sustainer. Bhuta Bhartru, one that sustains all the beings. Grasishnu, one that swallows everything. Prabhavishnu Chaya, one that brings forth everything. One that swallows everything. One that brings forth everything. Brings forth everything, one that creates everything. Swallows everything, one that dissolves everything. And one that sustains everything. Meaning that, he alone is the creator, he alone is sustainer, he alone is dissolver. What is this? The one that is myself, that is undivided whole, is in fact the creator, sustainer, dissolver. You know in what way it is created? Our picture is that somebody is sitting there and creating something. Oh, what? You know, Vedanta explained creation like this. Again, going to rope snake example of the rope being pursued as a snake. Where is the snake created from? What is the cause of the, I mean, you know, suppose this object is taken to be a snake, let us say. Then that snake has come from where? From the rope, is it not so? As long as the snake is there, where is it? It is in the rope. And when you throw a torchlight, show a torchlight, and recognize, hey, this is rope, the snake disappears. Where does it disappear? Where is it gone? Back to the rope. Is ignorance because of which, ignorance of the rope because of which the snake is created. Ignorance because of which the snake is sustained. In light of the knowledge, the snake is swallowed. It was created from where? From the rope. It remained where? As long as ignorance was, it stayed or remained, was sustained by the rope and wake up the knowledge. Where does it go back? It goes back into the rope. In this manner, the Vedantins will say that God is creator, sustainer, dissolver. Understand? Don't think that God sits down and creates something and then someday opens his mouth and then takes everything back. 
But the way Vedanta explains the process of creation, sustenance, dissolution, is that the rope is the, you can call it the creator. From rope, the snake emerges. By the rope, the snake is sustained. Unto the rope, the snake merges. Similarly also, from Brahman, the universe emerges. By Brahman, the universe is sustained. Unto Brahman, the universe merges. And that Brahman is my very self. So interestingly enough, in the 16th verse, the first line describes consciousness of the self which is undivided whole. And second line says that that very self or undivided consciousness is the creator, sustainer and dissolver. First line describes it as Atma, second line describes it as Ishwara. And that's how this verse in fact tells us how only one principle is both the self, undivided whole, at the same time the substratum of the whole universe, <coughs> showing thereby the identity or the oneness between the self and the universal self. Universal self. Sorry, I never heard this term. Okay. But universal self means self of the whole universe. The individual self is called Atma. The self of the universe is called Brahman. So, says, what is the universal individual self is the universal self. Meaning that what is the self of a wave is also the self of the whole ocean. What's the self of the wave? Water. What's the self of the whole ocean? Also water. Only when the identification with that form is given up, then the wave recognizes that my truth is only water. And so, ocean is a creator, sustainer, dissolver. But then we can say water is that from which the waves emerge, by which the waves are sustained, unto which the waves go back. And that water alone is the self of every wave. So what is self of one wave? Is the self of the ocean. What is self of me? Is the self of you. Is the self of the universe. And that's one truth. <coughs> Vedantins will call that Tatastalakshan, meaning the description of God with reference to creation. From him the universe emerges, by him the universe is sustained, and to him the universe again merges back. But what is he? So that's what the 17th verse tells us. Jyotishamapitajyotihi <coughs> <coughs> That Brahma, that Brahman or the self is Jyotisham api Jyotihi. He is said to be the light of all the lights. <coughs> what is light of all the lights? Light of this bulb. So the light of the bulb is electricity. But electricity comes from where? Oh, Swami, that comes from the power station. That comes from where? Oh, that comes from a generator. That comes, that energy comes from where? And it comes from a steam turbine. That energy comes from where? It comes from the steam. That energy comes from where? It comes from the boiler. That comes from where? It comes from the coal. That comes from where? It comes from the earth. But how did that coal happen to be in the earth? Swami, you don't know. Because of the sun alone, the, all this wood is actually transformed into this coal. So it is the energy of sun. And so, in fact, the sun that illumines all these things. Who illumines the sun? That's a technical question. This is so far it's all right, you know. <laughs> Who illumines the sun? How do you know, how do you say the sun is? Or who can say that sun is? When I see the sun, so one who has eyes alone will be able to say that the sun is, one who doesn't have eyes won't be able to say that the sun is, because I can't see. So technically we say that the sun is illumined by whom? Really sun is illumined by my eyes. All these names and forms are illumined by my sense organs. Sun is just an example. The whole universe is illumined by my sense organs of perception. And sense organs in turn are illumined by what? By my mind, which are the thoughts. 
and they, the thoughts in turn, are illumined by what? By consciousness, the very self. That's how it is said that the self is the light of all the lights, the light of consciousness. First illumines the mind. Through the mind, it illumines the sense organs. Through that, it illumines the whole world. And that way, the illuminator of all the luminaries also is nothing but the self, Jyotishabhi Tadjyotihi. <coughs> this is a common theme that you find in the Upanishads. All these verses are nothing but the essence of the Upanishads, which is what Lord Krishna is t- saying here. We chant every day, you know, na tatra suryo bhati, na chandrakarakam, nema vidyato bhanti, kutoy magnihi. Natatra Surya Bhati, that the sun does not shine. Natchandratarakam, nor the moon, nor the stars. Nema Vidyato Bhanti, even these lightnings also do not shine there. Kutaya Magni, then where what to talk of this fire that I am showing? See what the priest does is, he has his lamp, and particularly the lamp, camphor, you know, so he lights the camphor and shows it before the Lord. So idea is that, Actually, he is giving us, so he enables us to have darshan of the Lord. Because in the olden days, they did not have these floodlights, and they are not supposed to have any floodlights. The sanctum is always very dark. The Lord, and usually in South India again, this image is also made of only, you know, dark stone, granite, so black granite. So sanctum is dark, in there there is black granite Lord, and there are no floodlights, no electricity there. Those days, of course, there was no electricity. But today, even when electricity is there, there is no electricity in those temples there. What they have? Just a lamp there. And so, when you really, when you go into a temple, and when you go through different prakaras or different passages, and finally come to the sanctum, which is the heart of the temple, because your eyes are accustomed to the outside brightness, when you stand in front of the Lord, for a few moments you don't see anything. Because the eyes are only accustomed to the brightness outside, external brightness. Then when you stand for a few minutes, and then eyes get then trained, then you can see something. Because there is one lamp. Somehow these fellows, that's all, a small lamp that is. A huge form is there, one little lamp. In fact, we are traveling in South India in some temples where you cannot see anything. So what's the use of coming to... you can't see anything. So then you have to train your eyes for ten minutes. And then also I have a hard time seeing anything, you know, after training. Then Swami, do you see something? So I think I see something. So this is... in, in, in Trivandrum there is this... Uh, uh, Padmanabha Swami, they say, you know. So Lord Narayana reclining on his serpent bed. So that's, that's, that's a very, you know, very big form is that, beautiful. But you can't see, I could not see anything. Swami, do you see the lotus here? Do you see the sage Agastya here? Do you see this? I said, yes, I see. <laughs> but I couldn't see anything. Similarly also we went to another place, could not see anything. And they won't allow you. We had a torch, right? I said, can I see through? Said, no, you can't do that. And then a lamp, a lamp was so little, you know, this is even brighter. I said, why don't you make that lamp a little brighter? He says, no Swami, this is what it is. So you can see a little bit, I don't know, some outline you can see. Then the priest comes along with his camphor lamp and then shows it to the, so hold it before the Lord and then we can have his darshan. Until then, he is hidden in the darkness. Just as the Lord, the Self, is hidden in a darkness of ignorance. And the teacher comes along and shows us the lamp of knowledge. And that's how we have the darshan. So the priest here stands for the teacher. And the lamp that he shows before the Lord is the lamp of knowledge, in which we see. And then he says, Natatra Surya Bhati, O Lord, you are the one who cannot be illumined by the sun, nor by the moon, nor by the stars, nor by the lightnings. Then what to talk of this little lamb? How can you be illumined by that? Tameva bhantam anubhati sarvam. It is you who shines and the whole world shines after you. Tasya bhasa 
Sarvam Vibhati, it is by your light that everything shines. And still this little lamp is shown because he is actually self-effulgent Swamiji. If everything shines because of him, then he's self-shining, yes. If he's self-shining, then how come we don't see him? That is because of the darkness of ignorance. And so light of, lamp of knowledge is required to see our own self. <coughs> but Jyotisham, Vipitat Jyotihi, understand that this Jyoti of the light is not this, some kind of a light that, you know, the physical light, it is a light of consciousness, which illumines. As we said, it is because of which the mind thinks, because of which the eyes see, because of which the ears hear, because of which the sun shines, because of which the moon and the fire shine. As in the 15th chapter, Lord Krishna says, Yada Aditya Gadam Teja hai, Jagat Bhasayate Khiram, Yat Chandra Masiyat Chagnao, Tattejo Vidhimamakam. Hey Arjuna, the light in the sun, and the moon, and the fire, this light that illumines the whole universe, understand that to be my light. So, he is the light of all the lights. That is the light of consciousness, light of intelligence. That's called Swarupalakshan, that's the nature of the Lord. Is nothing but unqualified consciousness. What they sometimes say, objectless consciousness or unqualified consciousness. That's the nature of the Lord that alone manifests as this qualified universe. That's where the, the, the difficulty is. The ultimate nature of Lord is what? Free from all qualifications and attributes. And He alone manifests as the universe of all qualifications and all attributes. The one manifesting as many, the unqualified manifesting as all the qualifications, the one that is free from all the gunas or qualities, manifests as the one as the universe possessed of all the qualities. <coughs> and so, he is all pervasive as well as he transcends everything. <coughs> Hearing, then, tamasah paramuchyade, and is beyond the tamas means darkness, untouched by the light untouched by the darkness of ignorance, one that is unopposed to ignorance also, one in whose light I know that I do not know. Swami, do you know Chinese language? I don't know. How do you know that you do not know? Well, the one who illumines ignorance also, because of which I do not know. And therefore, one who is even beyond the ignorance, untouched by the ignorance of the nature of knowledge, that is the Lord. When we hear this description, we feel this is impossible, Swamiji. There is no way, I, how can I know the universal self? We are talking about the substrate, the whole universe, talking of the infinite, talking of the whole. How can you ever know the limitless, infinite, the whole, the universal self? It's impossible. So Lord Krishna says in the second line, Don't worry, Jnanam, Gnayam, Gnanagamyam, Ruhi Sarvasya don't worry, it's not out there. Sarvasya hudivishtitam. In fact, it is, it is seated in the hearts of all. It is seated in the minds of all. It is the one that manifests in your own heart as I, I, I. This whole, the limitless and the whole is the one that is my own self manifesting in my own heart as I, I, I. It's my own self and therefore Jnanam, Gnayam, Gnanagamyam. Earlier we talked about Jnanam, Amanitvam, Madambhitvam, all these values we talked about, all of that are within yourself. Gnayam is Brahman, also is your own self. Gnanagamyam, it is to be known by the knowledge. <coughs> so by the knowledge you discover that, that Brahman, first of all you discover that all humility and all these virtues are also nothing but your own self. And secondly, you discover that Brahman, in fact, is your own self. <coughs> and concluding this discussion, in the verse 18, Lord Krishna says, Itikshetram tathat jnanam Nyeyam choktam samasataha Madhbhakta etad vijnaya Madhbhavayo papadyate It in this manner, Kshitram, Jnanam, 
Neyam cha samasada uktam. In this manner here, Arjuna, samasada uktam. I told you briefly. Remember, Arjuna asked six questions if you accept that verse. Prakrutim purusam chaiva, kshitram kshitragnam evacha, etad vedan vichami, jnanam gnayam chakeshava. Arjuna said that I want to know the six things. Prakruti and Purusha. Kshetragna, Kshetra and Kshetragna. Gnanam and Gnayam. So Lord Krishna remembers that question and then says to Arjuna, of the things that you asked me, look, I have told you about these three things. It in this manner, Kshetram, I told you what the Kshetra is. Mahabhutani, Ahankaraha, Buddhi, Avyaktam. In those two verses, I told you what the Kshetra, the field of knowledge is. Tathagnanam, Amanitvam, Adambitvam, Ahimsa. In those verses, I told you what the Jnanam, the means of knowledge is. Gnayam, again, beginning from 12th verse all the way up to 17th. In those verses, I told you the nature of Gnayam, nature of Lord. <coughs> These three things are told. You know, why did Lord talk, Lord talk about Kshetra? Why did Lord talk about Kshetra? means the field of experience. To distinguish the experience. As we said, the problem in our life is that we are lumping together the experiencer with experienced or the knower with the known. So to make the distinction between the known and the knower, Lord Krishna elaborately describes what is known. What is the object and subject? So what is the object? What is the scope of the object? Lord Krishna said that beginning the whole universe, beginning from Maya and the whole universe, including my body, including my sense organs, my mind and everything falls in the category of object. So the scope of object is described. Why was that described? In order to, in order to clarify the idea of subject. Because my idea of I is at the moment mixed up, because I am adding or mixing up the subject, object also along with subject, meaning that I look upon this body also as I, and the sense organs mind also are looked upon as I, and therefore Lord Krishna clarified, understand that the body is not you, body is the object of your knowledge, the sense organs, mind, intellect, all of these are objects of your knowledge, and you are the one that is distinct from that. So that is called in Vedanta, Tvampada Shodhanam, purification of the meaning of our Tvam or the Self. And for that, the Kshetra was described to distinguish Kshetra the subject. Gnanam was described, Amayatvam, Adambitvam, humility, non-pretentiousness, non-violence, forgiveness, straightforwardness, honesty. Why were those virtues described? In order to purify my mind so that it can gain the knowledge. So, in order to distinguish the subject from the object, we require a certain mind. And that mind can be prepared by this amanitvam, adambhitvam. And so, the preparation for purification of mind was described as jnanam. And jnayam, that which is to be known, the self is to be known as the self of all. So, therefore, jnanam, jnayam, Nakshetram, this three are described. <coughs> Who can know this? Next line says, Who is the one qualified to gain this knowledge? Lord Krishna's Mad Bhaktaha, Etad Vijnaya, Mad Bhavaya, Upapadyate. Mad Bhaktaha, my devotee. This will be interesting to hear. Who is the one qualified to gain the knowledge? Lord Krishna, my devotee, my Bhakta. That means that what is the means of this knowledge? Bhakti. The devotion is the means of this knowledge. Swami, what do you mean by devotion? So, we have been clarifying the word bhakti or the devotion. You see, in our mind we always associate bhakti with certain kind of actions. So we think that uttering the name of Lord, doing his puja or rituals, and performing worship, all of these are listening to the katha, etc. All of these generally are associated with bhakti. That's what people understand. Swamiji, I think that the path of bhakti is better for me. 
This path of knowledge is very difficult. But what do they mean by bhakti? They buy bhakti or devotion, they mean certain kind of specific actions. Well, Vedanta will say that that is all karma. Suppose I am performing worship, physical worship, it is also action. If I am attaining the name of the Lord, that is also action. If I am doing japa, that also is mental action. And so karma is a really. That means that dedicating myself to the Lord, so really bhakti is nothing but offering myself to the Lord, surrendering to the Lord, looking upon Lord as the only refuge, making myself totally available to the Lord. And that means offering myself to the Lord. That's called bhakti. Bhakti means offering myself to the Lord. Bhakti means love, but love for the Lord. But is it not so? In our day-to-day relationships also, when I love a certain person, let us say, what is the, what, what happens to me when I love somebody? Then, what kind of inspiration do I get? Or what kind of motivation do I get to please that somebody? Usually when I love somebody, what, do, what, I, what would I like to do to please that somebody? Why is it so? When I love somebody, I want to make that somebody happy. Why? Because that's the beauty of this thing. When love is there then, my happiness is in happiness of the one whom I love. When I love somebody, when the mother also loves the child, she does everything for the child. Makes all kinds of food and then when she sees the child eating the food and enjoying it, she's happy. It's not necessary that she has to eat the food. That fellow may, charm, you know, may clear up everything. Doesn't mind because the happiness of the beloved is my happiness. So similarly also what is bhakti? Bhakti means love for the Lord. When there is love, there is always offering. Offering of what? Offering of myself. I always come back to example of mother and son because, you know, there is something very evident to me everywhere. But the thing is, any example, but I see that everywhere, when mother actually does something for the child, let us say, and what is she doing? She's offering. What is she offering? She's offering herself. In what way? Well, whatever it is that she has, she has certain skills, she has certain, you know, whatever it is that she has, she offers. The father offers to the child. The son offers to the parent. The husband offers to the wife. The wife offers to the husband. Whatever it is that I have. Important thing is not what I offer. Important thing is that I offer. Actually, when there is love, it doesn't matter what comes to me. What gift did I, you know? Not that I keep account of what gifts are all given to me, you know? Important thing is that a gift is given to me. And that it is given to me by love. So when my six-year-old little child comes to me on the Father's Day with a gift, he's all wrapped up. What has he done? He opens it with great pride and gives me, Dad, I have drawn your picture. The six-year-old child in the arts and crafts. So he draws a picture and paints it. And what has he drawn there? He has made two circles. What are these two circles? They are no glasses. A big circle, what is it? That's your mouth, head. In the middle circle, what is it? That's your stomach. There are two lines, what are they? They are hands. Two vertical lines, they are your legs. This is me? You are drawing this? I don't say that. Suppose you bring that picture, then I would be really upset. But my six-year-old little son brings that picture. And I just hug him, you know. Because what is it? With pride and with such happiness he offers it to me. It is not what is offered. It is how it is offered and from where it is offered. And therefore what is important is he is offering himself to me. This is what he has. When he goes to age 35 he may draw a beautiful painting also. That, that time if he gives me this then I may have a different feeling about it. <laughs> So offering means offering myself. Whatever I have, whatever skills I have, whatever possessions I have, that is all offered. That's called bhakti. So offering myself to the first step is 
offering myself to the Lord. Meaning, identifying. Offering comes meaning, identifying. What does he like? I do what it is that is. Offering doesn't mean that I just give anything. I give something that is useful to the person, you know. Suppose you come and Swamiji, we have got a cow for you. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> we have an elephant here. Here, Swami, what's, what am I, how am I going to maintain it? So therefore, in the olden days, when the uh, disciple would first go, he would just carry with him a burden of just dry figs. That's all, because the teacher is performing his everyday fire ritual, and he he can use this fuel, something that is useful. That's the reason why in Kathopanita's story is that when Nachiketa saw his father was offering all, all old dilapidated cows, you know, infirm cows, then his heart faint. He said, what is my father doing? What are these Brahmins going to do with this kind of cows? Then he will this. That's not a gift. So offer something that will please the person. Meaning, how to please. And therefore, a life dedicated to please the Lord is called devotion. Doesn't matter what you do. Everybody does it in their own way. Swami, but should I have to perform all these rituals, all the complicated rituals? You don't have to. You can, what is important? The spirit behind that form. Not that form is not important at all. Form also is important. When you, when you serve food to somebody, oh, you prepare wonderful food, doesn't mean you just throw it like that, you know. You properly arrange it. Let's call it ritual. Dal is on the right side and sabji is there and roti is here and chutney is there and idli is here and katori and other katori. What is that? That's ritual. So in offering also there is a method. It shows that you care. If you just, you know, sometimes in the community feast they just give you like that, you know. <laughs> or sometimes in the buffet also when they are serving at the back and they are in a hurry and the rice, you know. In offering also, why do we call it, why is that a ritual? Ritual means a way of doing something. Why? That shows my care and concern. So you can do it your way, as long as there is a care and concern. So who is a devotee? The one who is dedicated to the Lord. One who wants to please the Lord. One who does whatever he does in a manner that will please the Lord. One who offers himself to the Lord. One who identifies with the Lord. Love means identification. Offering of my likes and dislikes. Offering of my ego ultimately. Identifying with the ego of the other person and offering my ego. This is the process of love. Is it not so? I hope it is so. And therefore, in this knowledge, first step is Identifying with the Lord. Second step is knowing the Lord. Understand. What is identifying with the Lord? It's called Bhakti or Karma Yoga. That's what Lord Krishna taught earlier. Perform your actions in the spirit of offering to the Lord. Do whatever it is that Lord likes. So how do I know what He likes? Well, what is Lord? The whole universe manifests before me. And there is a certain harmony in there, there is a certain order in there. Therefore, when you perform an action in keeping with the order or the harmony, he would like it because that is his order. You see in this creation, care and concern for all the living beings. Therefore, you also show that care and concern, I'm sure he will like it. You see in the universe the spirit of cooperation offering. If you adopt that spirit in your life, he will like it. So learn. The scriptures are teaching us. And we can also learn. Whatever it is that Lord is doing for me, I just return the same thing. The son always learns from the father, is it not? Whatever the father does, the son does. At least in the beginning. He's a role model. So also, whatever the Lord does, then when the father smokes, this fellow also starts smoking. That's a different thing. But Lord is the father. Whatever he does for me, is what I do for him. There is a care and concern and love and compassion that I receive for him. Well, that is what I show to him. 
Thus, performing actions based on what Swamiji calls his dharma, the order of dharma, performing action in the spirit of offering, in the spirit of identifying with the Lord, becoming one with the Lord. In fact, love erases the distance between the two who love each other. Even though physically they remain separate, but love in fact eliminates the separation. So the, the duality is transferred to non-duality, is it not so? Similarly also the duality between myself and the Lord is to be transformed to non-duality, that is done by, by love or bhakti or devotion. Mad bhakta, my devotee, the one who identifies himself with me, one who is surrendered to me, one who is offering himself to me, Eta Vignaya, he knows this. This is the first identification and second the knowledge. Mad bhakta etad vignaya, mad bhavaya upapadyate. And then he becomes me. Mad bhavaya upadyate. He becomes fit for becoming me. He becomes one with me. Meaning that he discovers the identity, he becomes muktaha, liberated. So first step is bhakti. Second step is jnanam. As a result, we what we call moksha or liberation. Jnanam of what? as described in the earlier verses, knowledge, knowing the Lord that way. How do I know? When there is devotion in my heart. So understand the Upanishads also talk of bhakti. Yasya deve parahaktihi yasa deve tasagarau tasyete kathita hirthaha prakashante mahatmanaha One who is the unflinching devotion for the Lord, an unflinching devotion for the teacher. That is the one for whom the meaning of the words of the Upanishads become very clear. <coughs> So one topic is covered by Lord Krishna, Jnanam and Jnayam and Kshetram. Now other topics again you may not know but there was a verse, Tat Kshetram Yat Chiyadrucha Yat Vikari Yatasyat, what is the Kshetra, what is this nature, what are its modifications, so that is described, Yat Vikari Yatasya, what is the cause, what is the effect, Sachayo, yat prabhavascha, what's the nature of the self and what are these prabhava? So those remain to be explained, replied, and Lord now starts that topic. What's the nature of kshetrajna? We were told that the kshetrajna, the self, is different from kshetra, is a nose of the kshetra. So now, what was said briefly, now Lord Krishna goes into analysis of our own being, the person and the personality, the kshetra and kshetrajna, the knower and the known. So from the verse 19 now, Lord Krishna talks about prakriti and purusha. <coughs> Prakritim purusham chaiva vidhyanadi ubhavapi Vikarams chagunams chaiva Vidhi prakriti sambhavan Prakriti and purusha Both are technical terms Prakriti means matter or maya Now you heard enough about the creation and the cause, the material cause of creation is Maya, also called Prakriti, the Pradhanam, primordial matter, sometimes it is called, sometimes it is called Maya, it is called the creative power. So Prakriti, Maya, or the creative power, or the, what you may call the universal projecting power, creative power, also called Prakriti. Prakriti also means material cause, by the way. One of the prakriti is material cause. So that which is the material cause. Prakritim purusham chaiva and purusha, what we call the efficient cause. You remember these two causes, material cause and efficient cause. In making a part, as you know, two causes, the clay is the material cause and the pot maker is the efficient cause, intelligent cause. So when these two are there, then the creation takes place. So Lord Krishna says, Prakritim purusham chaiva vidhi anadi ubhavapi. 
talks about these two. Earlier also in Bhagavad Gita, in the seventh chapter, this topic was raised. Then Lord Krishna talked about his two powers of Prakriti, Para Prakriti and Apara Prakriti. The lower inferior and the superior Prakriti of nature. Here also Purusha and Prakriti. Let me give you an example of what is meant by Purusha and Prakriti. Imagine the sun shining in the sky and being reflected in the bucket of water. Sun shining in the sky, reflecting in the bucket of water. We have a reflection. That reflection is a result of two things. One is there is a reflecting medium. So we are reflecting medium and then there is a reflection. Or if you have a mirror in your hand, you are receiving the rays of the sun, there is a mirror and there is a reflected sun. What happens is mirror also becomes bright. Mirror actually also gains the capability of lighting up a room, you know. You know all children do this. And so they hold the mirror like this and then direct the way there into a dark room. That's how the dark room is illuminated. Mirror alone cannot do. When mirror receives the light of the sun, then mirror also gets illumined and gains the capacity of illuminating. Similarly, bucket, water in the bucket. Bucket, water itself cannot do anything. When sun gets reflected, that water also becomes bright because of the brightness of the reflection and then that water can illumine a dark room. Similarly, here also something is happening. We told you, this Prakriti, our personality, our body, mind, intellect complex, is called Prakriti. Imagine that to a reflecting medium, and then the consciousness gets reflected, which is what we call the Jiva or the Self, that is called Purusha. So, Kshetrajna, Jiva, Purusha, all of these words denote the same thing, individual Self. Prakriti and Purusha. So now there are three entities. One is the sun, other is the water in the bucket, and third is the reflection. The water in the bucket is called Prakriti, the reflecting medium. The reflection is called Purusha. The sun is the one that is beyond both understand. Prakriti and Purusha. Who is Purusha? Purusha is the one associated with or reflected in the Prakriti and living the Prakriti. Just as the reflection of the sun and lives in the water and the water becomes bright. Similarly also, what is it that makes this body sentient? What is it that makes this mind sentient? This body, mind, etc., all of these are created from matter and therefore by nature they are inert. What makes them sentient? What makes them alive? It is the consciousness, reflected consciousness. Not sun directly, but the reflected sun. Similarly also, the reflected consciousness is called Purusha and the medium of matter or the personality where it is reflected is called Prakriti. Prakritim Purusham Chaiva Vidhi Anadi Uhovapi. Here Arjuna, understand that this Purusha and Prakriti, the spirit and matter, the, the person and the personality, both of them are beginningless. When did this thing begin, Swamiji? Anadi, it is beginningless. Maya also is beginningless. This Jivatma also is beginningless. But Swamiji, you say that this body I acquired because of the karma of the past birth, alright. But the past birth also I had a body with which I did the karma. How was that body acquired? Because of the karma of the previous birth. But that was possible when I had body in that birth. How did I get that body? Because karma in the previous month. But Swami, how was it? When it was in the beginning, how was it? When there was no karma at all, how did the body come about? No beginning at all. This is an ongoing process. There is no such thing as beginning and therefore, this is, what is the first Swamiji? Is the, uh, I will not have chicken and egg, you know. I'll give, we always give another example. The sprout and the seed. They ask me this, Children ask this question, Swami, what's the first, chicken or egg? <laughs> but the Vedantin example is 
the sprout and seed, you know. The space seed gives rise to a sprout. That gives rise to another seed, another sprout. Where did this begin? This process begin when? When are the first seed, Swamiji? The first seed cannot be unless the first sprout is. And the first sprout cannot be unless the first seed is. So what is first? There is no first. That's why do you know what is the unit of time? The unit of time? Hour. What's the division of hour? What's the smallest division of time? In our day-to-day life, don't say nanosecond stuff like that. What's it? <laughs> the unit of time is second. That's how one Swamiji explained because it is second, not first, you know. Second. <laughs> because it's not first. There is no such thing as first, no such thing as beginning. As we said the other day in the satsang also that you cannot visualize the beginning of anything. Beginning means what? That something is non-existent and now comes into existence. But how can something come into existence from non-existence? Something cannot come out from nothing. Something must be there for something to come out. The sprout can come out when the seed is there. The seed can come out when the fruit is there. Something must be there. The cause must be there for the effect to manifest. We cannot imagine a causeless effect. Just as Swami says, can you imagine a pot without clay or some other material? You cannot. We cannot imagine the effect without the cause. And therefore, there is no such as beginning. There is what we call beginningless. Otherwise, there will be no order in the world at all. Suppose, this is my first birth. When I was born, this is my first birth. And this is your first birth. And everybody's first birth. Then the immediate question is, if this is my first birth then, why am I like this? Why should I be stuck with this kind of body? Why was I born there? Some children here say, Indian children say, Swami, why do I have this skin, you know? Because when they go to school, sometimes they feel discriminated. Why do I have brown skin? Why does he have white skin? Why is he tall? Why am I short? Why am I fat? Why am I lean? Why is he rich? Why am I poor? Why is he bright? Why am I dull? All this diversity, how do you explain? No, God just made you like that. If God made me like that, then that's why. Why should he do that? Why is he partial to somebody? Why is he cruel to somebody else? And so we say that, therefore, if there is first birth, that means what? I am stuck with the result of something that are not done. What have I done to deserve this? Not only that, but if this is my only birth, then all the good things that I do, if I, if there is no next birth, that means that they are all gone, you know, all the things that I did, they had no result. So technical difficulty comes. <laughs> technical difficulty is that I am stuck with the result of something that I have not done and I am deprived of the result of what I have done. It's not fair. It's not fair. So this is not fair, Swamiji. Why should this happen to me? This is not fair. I did so well in the examination, how come I didn't get a grade? This is not fair. So we always want fairness. And there will be no fairness in the universe if this is only birth. There must be a reason why I am what I am. Who must be the reason? You cannot be the reason. I must be the reason. I must have a past history wherein I did something and thus I created this destiny for myself. Swami, do you believe in free will or destiny? Depends on who is asking the question. <laughs> Somebody says, Swamiji, I don't believe in destiny, this is what I have done. I will tell him there is only destiny. Somebody says, Swamiji, I am only waiting for God to do something, there is no destiny, only favor. <laughs> Convenient answers. Why is it so? Because what is destiny today was free will in the past. What is destiny meaning that whatever it is that I meet with in my life is the result of the action that I performed in the past.
So what is destiny today? Was free was there? But Swamiji, that time, why did I do that? Was it not destiny? But that was free will earlier. But earlier what I did, was it not my destiny? There is free will in the past. Therefore, the person who talks only of destiny, we say that there is nothing but free will. The fellow is arrogant and says, I did it. To him he says, what did you do? Swami, I did it. But then how can you do something unless you got the inspiration? Who inspired you? It's a destiny that did it? Yes, but Swamiji, how, I, how come I got this inspiration? Somebody did not get. This is your destiny. That's why I did something in the past, but then you did something in the past because then also you were inspired to do that. But that is because I deserve it. That is because you are inspired. And that is how either you can also show that there is nothing but destiny. Or you can show that there is nothing but free will. In fact, there are both free will and destiny, which you can't distinguish between the two. But anyway, that is, where is the beginning? There is no beginning. Anavidhyanadi uvahuapi. And thus, there is no beginning at all. From how long, since when this is going on, this game of birth and death is going on? From the time beginningless. Udhumulam adashakam ashwatham prahuhu avyayam. This tree of samsara is avyayam, is never ending because there is no beginning. What is it? Prakrutim Purusham Chaiva. Arjuna understand that there are these two entities, Prakriti and Purusha. Spirit and matter. Person and personality. Both of them are beginningless. So this is how now Lord Krishna introduces a new topic. And we tell us, what's the role of Prakruti? What's the role of Purusha? What's the role of matter? What's the role of spirit? How the samsara comes about? See, when we understand how the samsara comes about, then we know how to become free from that. So how to become free from the samsara? You must know, how did it come out in the first place? So Lord Krishna first explains how the samsara comes about, and then explains how to become free from that samsara. We'll continue that in our next class. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punapunaha Ishvaro Gururatmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Kari Om